Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we finish our series on intentional evangelism, the series called Bless, I want to address a concern that I've heard from a few people in this community in the last five weeks or so. As we've been walking through this acronym, which is, just as a reminder, if you're joining us for the first time this week, begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve with love, and then today, share your story. I've heard the question from a couple people, now, is this actually evangelism? And I think it's a fair question, to be honest with you. Since we wrote down those names five weeks ago that we were going to be praying for, names of people in our lives who, who need the hope of Jesus Christ, all the way up until today, there really hasn't been a point in which we've emphasized what actual words we are going to use to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. In fact, I, I understand how it could seem like we're just kind of being nice people, good neighbors, but where is the gospel message really in this? Where's the explanation of who Jesus is and what he did on this earth and, and what happened at the cross and what happened through the resurrection? Where's the conversation about sin and forgiveness and new life in Christ? Again, it's a fair question. I sat down this week with Rick Richardson. He's a Wheaton graduate school professor of evangelism, and he's actually one of the architects and authors of this BLESS uh, series. And I asked that very question to him. What would you say to someone who says, I don't know if this is really evangelism? His answer was great. He said, tell your congregation that walking through these five practices of BLESS is like tilling the soil, creating an optimal, perfect environment for an openness to the good news of Jesus and for the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. He said that in the development of BLESS, he actually had suggested expanding it to BLESSING, an I-N-G at the end. And the I-N-G would stand for invite to church, share the good news, grow and flourish. Yes, he used the word flourish, and he doesn't know anything about our mission statement or our church. Isn't that great? He used the word flourish. And then he asked, well, which letter are you preaching on? And I told him, I'm on the second S, share your story. And he got super excited. He's a very, very excitable guy. And he said, oh, wow, how exciting. What an opportunity you have on Sunday because that is the hinge of evangelism. Your story is the hinge of evangelism. This is when we stop tilling and we start planting. This is such an exciting week for you and your church. So we've been engaging in these practices that open people up to the gospel and this is when we begin to really share our story. And here's the reality. And I think you know this deep down. Stories work. Right? Stories work. I'm drawn to them and so are you. I think everybody is. I know that stories keep my attention much better than a lecture. They help me uh, a lecture. They, they make me feel more connected to the speaker. I've been to so many church services and conferences and youth meetings. And I've heard some incredible stories. Stories of of faith and testimonies that would blow anybody away, stories of being pulled out of the gutter or, or meeting Christ in a near-death experience or dramatically turning from darkness to light and never, ever turning back. I've heard testimonies and faith stories of many of you in this church that warm my heart and they strengthen 
my faith. Just this week at, an end of a meet, at the end of a meeting here at church, I overheard someone ask, so what's your faith story? What a great question. What's your faith story? And then the man who was asked the question began to share his faith story, and, and the whole room that was kind of mingling in, in separate conversations all started to fall quiet, and we turned and started to listen to this testimony. We were wrapped in, in, in this story of, of coming to faith, and I was convicted again about the power of story and testimony. And the message of this Sunday is that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you too have a story, you have a testimony to share. But some of you will automatically feel a sinking feeling because you say, well, my story's not that compelling. This man I was referring to earlier this week had this incredible story of encountering Jesus in Scripture and having people pray for him for a long time to come to faith. It was a great story. It was compelling. One of my dear friends from seminary had an amazing story, too. He grew up in a, in a, in a family with minimal faith influence, and, and his childhood was really void of any conversations about God or Jesus. And he struggled with drinking and, and girls and this crazy lifestyle, but he came to Christ in college, and he had this radical change in his life. When Paul talks about how in Christ we are a new creation, that's the kind of story that he talks about. And that's the kind of story I have in my mind when I think of really compelling stories. I shared with my friend that I feel a little bit foolish sharing my story, which is kind of I grew up in a faithful home. I, ne I never really rebelled all that much. Yes, there are markers and moments that are important to me, but no one's going to ask me to take the stage at a big youth conference and, and blow people away with my story of faith because I don't have a dramatic conversion experience. And I've known very few gutters in my life. Now, if you're like me, you probably feel like your story maybe isn't the best evangelistic tool in the world. There's got to be someone who's got a better one, right? Well, let me tell you this. Did you know that the word evangelist, the word evangelist, someone being designated as an evangelist, only occurs three times in the New Testament? And only one person in all of the New Testament is actually designated as an evangelist. That would be Philip, the evangelist. However, the word witness occurs almost 100 times in the New Testament. What does that tell us? I think it tells us that we're not all called to be evangelists in the truest sense, but we are all called to be witnesses. We're all called to be witnesses. We are all called to bear witness to what Jesus has done for us. It says nothing about how compelling that witness is, just that we're called to witness in our own way. If you know the love and the goodness and the grace of God, then I want you to know that you have something wonderful to offer the world that is in need of that love and that goodness and that grace. So I want to ask the question, what keeps us from sharing our story of faith? I know that some of you have no problem sharing your story, and I, and I have a lot to learn from you. I'd like to spend more time with you if you're one of those people. But I think most of us here are hesitant to share our stories. Why? Maybe we think it's not a great story. Maybe we don't want to offend others or are conditioned to believe that, that matters of faith are really supposed to be private matters. It's not really something to, to talk with other people about. Maybe we fear rejection by putting our story out in front of other people and having them not receive it well. Maybe you feel like, you're, I'm just not very good with words. I get, I get in a conversation and I, and I get nervous and, and I really can't say what I want to say. Well, let me offer some encouragement for those of you who are in that camp. 
And this encouragement comes from the Apostle Paul. Paul had a great story, didn't he? He had a great story. One of the best stories. One of those stories that would put him on the Christian conference circuit for the rest of his life, and he'd never have to worry about money again, right? He was the chief persecutor of Christians, a follower of the law without match. He was also really one of the best and brightest young minds of, of, of the Jewish world. But on his way to Damascus to, to find Christians, to pull them out of their homes and to throw them into jail, he gets knocked to the ground by a blinding light and the voice of Jesus that says, stop persecuting me. And, and the story unfolds that he, he turns from his old ways to new life in Christ. He goes from the chief persecutor of Christians to history's preeminent Christian church planter and missionary. It's really this incredible story. And if there was ever a story that's supposed to be used as an evangelistic tool, it's Paul's story. His experience, his story, coupled with his vast knowledge and theological acumen and philosophical understanding, makes Paul an absolute evangelistic powerhouse, right? But then in 1 Corinthians 2, he surprises us. Remember Paul's story. Think about that conversion story when he says this. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith not might, might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. We might accuse Paul of being modest here, because he is wise, and he has this incredible story, and he uses a lot of lofty words in other places that have been read by countless people since they were written so long ago. But Paul isn't being modest. He's making a radical, a, a radical statement, and I, I want to unpack it a little bit. First, he contrasts his message with the message of the day. Remember that the Corinthian church is, is situated in Greece. It's not far from Athens, and it's right in the center of, of philosophical culture. The intellectual focus was huge in this society, and it was, a, it was a highly public focus. The norm would have been well-curated and, and researched debates that unfold in public squares and in markets where crafted arguments and, and lofty words were normal. It was an everyday occurrence. The whole point of philosophical culture was to win others over in a debate with impressive knowledge and, and presentation. And here's the thing. Paul could have done that, easily could have done that. He was an incredible, smart, wise, capable debater. I wouldn't want to debate Paul on anything based on my reading. But Paul says, that's not how I'm coming to you. Not with lofty words, not with wisdom. I'm coming in weakness and in trembling. It's not totally evident exactly what this means when he says weakness and trembling, but I'm reasonably convinced that he is saying that he's, he's overwhelmed by the prospect of witnessing in this way. Doesn't that make you feel better? I hope that makes you feel better, that this apostle with immense knowledge and, 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 the picture, and the picture-perfect testimony is still overwhelmed by the idea of sharing it with other people. It's okay and normal for us to feel like our words are imperfect, and to feel nervous and intimidated to share our story of faith. But Paul says more. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm totally fascinated by this idea 
Paul did not attempt to distinguish himself intellectually because he had already resolved to know nothing but Christ and his crucifixion. This is not to say that Paul is laying aside knowledge or saying it's not important, that he's laying aside reason and saying it's not important, but rather that Jesus and the power of his death and resurrection is so compelling and so central for Paul that this is the most important thing to be said while he was among them. In other words, if I, if I can paraphrase, Paul is saying, I'm not trying to win you over. I'm just telling you about what Christ has done for me and how it has fundamentally changed my life. And for Paul, that was the basis of proclamation. Christ at the center of his story. Lastly, Paul says, My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Paul is saying something wonderfully profound here. He's saying that this really isn't my story. It's not about my story of being knocked down to the ground. It's not about what I've done. It's God's story. And it's the spirit at work in that story. And and this is really the main thing that I want to convey to you this morning. We We should feel freed by the by the fact that we don't need to have eloquent wisdom or convincing arguments. That should make us feel free. We should feel free to to focus on Christ and what he has done for us as the central theme of our story. But this reality in verses 4 and 5 is really the most freeing for me. So time for a little bit of honesty for me. Uh, Once I started diving into this text with some friends here at church, and then in my own study and preparation for this morning, I realized that I've got... I've got some pretty significant baggage when it comes to telling my own story. When I think about my story, the places in my life where I've seen the demonstration of God's spirit and of power, the experience through which God has revealed himself to me, the ways in which God has fundamentally changed my life, I automatically think of the process of adopting our daughter as one of those moments. Through that process, I've learned so much about God learned so much about the love of Jesus Christ, learned so much about myself and, and what it means for, for, for me, myself, to be adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. It's been a huge change for me. God has been so present in this experience uh, and, and, and walking through it that I knew I had to do something with that story, so I started to write about it. And I've been writing a book for about three years. Uh, I take time on my day off, sometimes late at night when I can't sleep, and I, and I begin to write down this experience of what it's like to be an adoptive father, and in particular, our journey to, to China to welcome Lydia into our family as our daughter. Now, when I say that I've been writing this for three years, uh, it's been pretty slow going. Uh, oftentimes, there's just not enough free time in, in a day for me to really dig into the depths of writing. Sometimes it takes a long time to get where you need to go. Or I feel overwhelmed on what I, what I, what I want to say, and, I, and I'm not really sure how to say it. So in three years, I have about four chapters done out of maybe ten. Katie and I have talked recently about combining my work with our blog entries from 2014 and, and maybe putting a book and, and sort of authoring it together. But here's the truth. The real reason why I have not completed this project is because I'm crippled by fear. That's the truth. That's the truth. You'd probably never know it, but I know it's fear. Fear of rejection. 
Fear of someone thinking that this story was boring or unimportant. Fear of a publisher taking a look at it and scrutinizing it like crazy. Fear that nobody would ever really read it. And most of all, fear that I would have to get out in front of this and promote my story to other people and they might think of me as someone who's prideful and wants the spotlight. I don't care about making money. I don't really care about how many books get sold. I guess I'm just fearful that it's never, ever going to be finished. I came to that painful reality this week as I began to see a pattern in my life. I'm a creative person. I love the creative process. I love projects. But I started to look at my adult life, and, and I saw a bunch of really fantastic unfinished projects that were left in the wake of my fears and insecurities. Anybody ever feel that way? Musical projects and writing projects and artwork and podcasts and blogs and most of all, half-baked ideas and dreams. If it's for work and I can put Hinsdale Covenant's name on it, that project always gets done and and it's usually done pretty well. But if it's Lars's work and it's my name, my name out in front, I feel overwhelmed and I'm likely to bail. But here's what I've missed in this process. Here's the reminder that I'm so thankful for. It makes total sense for me to be governed by my fears and my insecurities if this is my story, if this is Lars's story. But it isn't my story, is it? It's God's story. I don't get the glory. I don't want the glory. It's God who gets the glory. The reason my story is a good story is because I think those that will read it someday will meet God in a new way and be strengthened in their relationship with him. It's his story. And if I'm willing to recognize whose story this is, I can start to feel my fears and my insecurities melt away. I feel it even now. My writing is a witness of God's goodness, and it is his story. I don't want to choose fear. I don't want to be governed by my insecurities. So... I want to tell you this morning, if you would like to read what I have, come find me. I will send it to you. That's a big step for me. That's a big step for me. I'll send you a chapter, and I'm going to pray that God might bless you through it, not for my glory, but for God's glory. I hope the same for you. As you think about those names of people that you've been praying for, uh, for hopefully for the last five weeks, I hope that you can feel a freedom to share the story of God's work in your life with confidence and joy, pointing them to God's glory. Even if this story that you tell, you know it's a real rough draft, and I guarantee you the story that I'm writing is a rough draft. Even if it makes you feel fearful and insecure, it's a story that needs to be shared because I think human stories that point people to God are the most compelling kinds of stories that there are. I want you to take this insert that's in your bulletin. If you would grab this. There's a very helpful tool on the back of of this this week called Share Your Story. I'm even going to give us just a minute to to contemplate this. If you have something to write with, you could write something down or you could think about it. But it walks us through how we might begin to think about our story. Maybe you've never really sat down and considered, how would I tell my story? And it helps us to think of before, during, and after. Before Christ took a hold of my life. During, what what was that experience? What was that turning point for me? And then after, how has it changed me? Maybe your story doesn't follow a timeline like that, a before, during, and after pattern. Maybe you want to consider a time when God 
has worked in your life and, and it's brought about a change in you. Maybe you want to just highlight the thing that God has been teaching you the most recently or a time when you had a significant, a significant encounter with him. I want to give you just one minute just to jot down a few ideas. For me, during this brainstorm this week, I wrote becoming an adoptive father, becoming a father to Layla. And that's what got me to this point today. So take just a moment and uh, jot a few things down. you have a few thoughts already in your mind you can jot them down this morning you can bring this home spend some time today or throughout the week looking at this it's my prayer that you are able to look at what is on this sheet of paper and say it's not my story it's God's story that you would find time and space to to share that story with someone else and that you're able to see God's good work in your life and use it to bless others Know that your story is good and wonderful and it's worth sharing so that others can be pointed to the love of Jesus Christ. So as we finish this series on bless, I just have a few closing words for us. If you're someone who has put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, my word for you is this. I pray that you might use your story to be a blessing to other people, that you might pick up these practices and choose to be a blessing to others because of what God has done for you. I pray that you might grow in a desire to bless those in your life who are far from Jesus. And if you're someone here this morning who's still investigating the claims of Jesus Christ, I pray that you might be surrounded with others who model those claims of Christ well. That through them, that you might know that God loves you and that he offers you abundant life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that you might all experience the blessing of Jesus Christ so that you might in turn go and bless the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the story that you continue to write in our lives. Lord, I'm aware that as we're gathered here as brothers and sisters in this place, that we don't come proclaiming individual stories, but that this is one great story that you are writing in all of us. And what a great gift it is to share that with one another this day and through community and then be sent out into your world to go and bless others. Lord, I pray that our stories might be the hinge of our efforts of evangelism that bring people to a greater understanding of who you are. Lord, I thank you for the ways in which you've created stories to speak to people's lives and hearts. 
So Lord, would you strengthen us as we go from this place to receive the blessing that you give to us and pass it on to others. We want to be mindful today of those in our community who are in need of your healing and your help, those who are grieving and experiencing loss, those who experience great joy, those who are in need of extra measures of your presence and your peace. Lord, you know them all, so we lift them up to you. And we ask that you would continue to strengthen your church as we seek to be a blessing to this world. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. I'll invite you to stand.